Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. By that, I mean to say, share my business knowledge and wisdom with you, our listener. For the next hour, my guest, a fellow entrepreneur and a Catholic priest, will be discussing how we maneuvered the path of faith and entrepreneurship in pursuit of our dreams. Now, you may be asking yourself, what qualifies this lady to do this? And the answer is easy, experience. I started my company, Arkansas Flag and Banner, over 40 years ago. During the last four decades, Arkansas Flag and Banner has grown and morphed from door-to-door sales to telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales and now relies heavily on the Internet. Each change in sales strategy required a change in the company thinking and procedures. My wisdom, confidence, and my company grew. My initial $400 investment now produces nearly $4 million in annual sales. In this next hour, you will hear a candid conversation about real-world experiences and leaps of faith on topics I hope you'll find interesting. So be prepared to hear our truth. It's not always easy to hear. For example, in business, there are very few overnight successes. My truth is I worked part-time jobs for nine years before Arkansas Flag and Banner grew enough to support just me. It's now grown and expanded so much that to operate efficiently, we require, are you ready? A purchasing, manufacturing, graphic, shipping, technology, accounting, marketing, sales, and customer service department, plus a retail store. Twenty-five people make their living from working at Arkansas Flag and Banner. But that didn't happen overnight. Starting and owning a business takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. My guest today is Father Fred Ball from, let me see if I can say it right, San Damiano Damiano Ecumenical Catholic Church. Father Fred grew up as a Southern Baptist in Arkansas and spent 20 years in the Southern Baptist ministry leading congregations. For a time after graduating from Baptist seminary and still exploring his Christian faith, he joined a Franciscan order. Later, as a Baptist preacher, he would fold some of his learned elements of Catholic worship, such as liturgical insights, calendar, and worship pieces, into his Protestant mix. Though he was practicing his Baptist faith every Sunday morning, he still felt an attraction to the ritual and teachings of the Catholic Church, which he felt offered for him power, drama, and depth to his faith. After leaving the Baptist Church in 1999, Ball spent six years as an Episcopalian. But something was missing. He was still drawn to Catholicism and the ministry, but knew that it didn't jibe with his reality of his own beliefs or his situation, given that he was married. He heard about the possibility of being an ecumenical Catholic priest from a Franciscan brother and decided to form a congregation in his home. In 2006... With his wife, yes, his wife, he started San Damiano, San Damiano Ecumenical <laughs> Catholic Church. Welcome to the table, Father Fred Ball. This is the beginning of Holy Week, a very busy time for priests. Thank you so much for making time to come and talk to us. Before we dig into the meaning of Holy Week, can you tell us how you went from Baptist preacher to a practicing with the Franciscans to being an Episcopalian and now a Catholic priest? Oh, that's quite a question. Yeah, that's got to be a good story. <laughs> and we only have an hour. Where do you want to start? The short version is 
I think that I've always been attracted to the liturgy. I was exposed to the Catholic Mass when I was in high school because of my Spanish studies. And I met some friends from Central America who worked with Arkansas Electric Cooperative, uh, who were from Central America, who would invite me to their church activities and say, you know, we're having a picnic Sunday afternoon. Why don't you come to Mass with us? And would sit and just soak in that liturgy and the power of the symbols and the drama that is the Mass. And that was quite attractive to me. At the same time, I was worshiping, you know, in my, my native faith, if you will, in a context where the symbolism was minimized and there was an emphasis on the sacraments not being anything except the, what they called mere symbols. Yet they were so important that certain people could receive them and certain people couldn't. And so it made me want to explore this whole sacramental liturgical drama aspect. It just it caught me at some deep place in my soul. And I began to explore that. So even even in a Southern Baptist seminary context, I ended up doing my doctoral dissertation on the Eucharist, you know, the primary sacrament of renewal and nourishment in the Catholic traditions. How old were you when you started going to those picnics with your friend? Oh, gosh, 17 years old, probably. A very formative age. Mm-hmm. Did y'all speak a lot of Spanish? We did. And you liked that? I did. What does ecumenical mean? Ecumenical comes from the Greek word. The, the root is the word oikos, which means house or household. And so it's the root for ecumenical. It's a root for economy. But um, when you say an ecumenical church, it means something different. It means including the whole household. And, ah. s- and so for us, the emphasis is on having relationships with all Christians and not just Catholics. And this goes back to our, our roots with the old Catholic tradition, the old Catholics of uh, Utrecht in, in the Netherlands, who in the early 1700s, when they became cut off from the Roman Church, immediately looked around and said, but we're Catholic and we have to be in a relationship with other people. And so they turned to the Anglicans, they turned to the Orthodox, and began developing those relationships and having conversations about how they could be church together in some way. And that's when ecumenical Catholicism was born? Essentially. Are there very many in the state of Arkansas? We're we're the only ecumenical Catholic church. In the state of Arkansas? In the state of Arkansas, yes. And so that's in your name. Mm -hmm. And the other part that's in your name is San Damiano so it's the San Damiano Ecumenical Catholic Church. Explain the name San Damiano and how you came up with that name, too. Sure. My wife and I are Franciscans, part of a, a Franciscan order. And San Damiano is the name of a little chapel outside of Assisi in Italy, where St. Francis was born and, and spent his life. And it was one of those places that Francis would go and pray, and it was part of his conversion experience, was his experience there at San Damiano. It was a little dilapidated chapel that had long been abandoned. Uh, Francis went there regularly to spend time in prayer and meditation. And there's a, a famous crucifix that was hanging there. It's, it's about a six-foot-tall crucifix. And one day in his prayer, he heard the voice of Christ say, Francis, go repair my house, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins. And Francis looked around and said, well, yeah, it really is. <laughs> and he, he took it very literally, very concrete thinker, and began collecting stones and rebuilding the chapel. But it later began to understand that the call was much larger, that to repair God's house was not just to repair this little chapel, but it was to repair essentially the world. And so, as you probably know, Francis is a patron saint of creation, of ecology, 
well known for peace and justice efforts. And those are the kinds of things that as Franciscans we put our focus on is repairing the, the household of God, which we believe is all of creation. Did you have a dream that made you decide on that name? or How did you get the calling to call it that? My wife actually chose that name. We wanted to have something that would be recognizably Catholic, so Saint something, right, you know, for most Catholic churches. And San Damiano is such a central piece of the Franciscan story that it was just an important image for us. And we never dreamed at the moment that we chose it that it would be as difficult for people to pronounce as it is. So the Franciscans, were they monks that you stayed with? Were they Franciscan monks? So Franciscans identify themselves as friars rather than monks. Friars. Yes. Friar, which is just a word that means brother. So we're brothers and sisters. Monk comes from the Greek word monos, which means one. And it refers to the idea of the religious, the monks staying in, in cells in the monastery and being isolated and tied into the monastery. Franciscans don't stay in a monastery. They stay in a friary or a convent. Convent just means coming together. But Franciscans are known for going from gospel to life and life to gospel. That is, we we gather, we spend time together, we encourage one another, and then we go back out into the world. This whole idea of being sent forth into the world on mission then coming back to regather and recharge. And that's their philosophy. Mm-hmm. What country were you in when you studied with the Franciscans? Oh, in the U.S. I began with an order called the Order of Ecumenical Franciscans, oh. which is uh, not tied to any particular denomination and has folks from every major Christian group that you can think of and, and some very obscure ones as well. And then later, a few years ago, six years or so ago, uh, we asked the order to release us so that we could form a new Franciscan group within the ecumenical Catholic communion because we thought we had something to offer our church that would help it grow and strengthen since it's a relatively new communion. So you have a Franciscan <coughs> order in your current church? Yes. We're going to talk about that more. But here's something that I read while getting ready for this show that really, really got me thinking. And I'm paraphrasing from the book Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox. And it says... No matter how you feel about religion of any kind, it is easy to say Jesus Christ may be the most important figure that has ever appeared in our written history of mankind. Think of Washington, Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon, Charlemagne. It makes no difference how you may regard Jesus, whether a man, a prophet, a fanatic, or a god. You have to concede the fact that through his life, death, and teachings, he has influenced the course of human history more than any other man that lived. That is something to think about. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to dig into the spiritual meaning of Holy Week, what it means to be gay and faithful, and how Father Fred Ball's spiritual journey led him in 2006 to open and pastor the ecumenical Catholic Church, San Damiano. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played And it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall The major lift, the baffled
This is Holy Week, and its precursor is Lent, which is for 40 days and 40 nights. Mm. And it starts on Ash Wednesday, which is uh, the day after Mardi Gras, which everybody knows Fat Tuesday and Mardi Gras. And most people don't even know why they're celebrating Mardi Gras. Let's tell them what Lent is and why there's 40 days. Sure. Throughout the history of the church, the, the length of Lent has varied throughout the year. Sometimes it's been longer, sometimes it's been shorter. But historically, Lent was a time for the church to prepare candidates for baptism at Easter. Uh, Easter is sort of the classic time, you know, the, the prime time, if you will, to uh, baptize new Christians. And so Lent became a period for teaching the faith to the new converts uh, and for Christians who had already been baptized to prepare to renew their baptismal commitments at Easter. And so Somehow we settled on 40 days. I thought it was because he was in the desert 40 days. I thought well, I was Jesus say, was in the 40 days. I, I was going to say, that's part of it, too, is we've got, the, we've got the 40 days of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. We have the 40 years of wandering in the you know, wilderness for, with the Israelites. So 40 is, a, is one of those important numbers symbolically in the scriptures. And I think that's why they finally settled on that. There's several numbers that are symbolic in scripture, like 12, mm-hmm. 3, Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about either one of those? So 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, the 12 apostles. Right. You know, three, of course, obviously for the Trinity. And people multiply and add and subtract and do all kinds of things with those numbers so that you have the 144,000 who are referred to in the book of Revelation. Well, 144 is 12 squared. Oh, Times yeah. 1,000 just for good measure. So what would you give up for Lent? What did I give it up for Lent? I'm not sure I gave up for Lent as much as what? as tried to take on. Oh, there you go. So Lent and disciplines for me are not necessarily about depriving yourself, but it, they're about realigning yourself. And the word conversion is an important word in Franciscan talk. Convert means to turn with. And realigning yourself, turning yourself, getting in line with God in a fresh way is what's important. And so Lenten discipline might be to take on a more regular prayer routine or scripture study or service to the poor or something like that. It, it might also mean getting something out of your life that, that is hindering your relationship with God. A lot of people are going to this uh, uh, Lenten season with with um, day off on Sunday. So you get to you have a repast on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so you, have you heard about that? No, I haven't. Give up church for Lent. Well, no, not give up church, but you get to give up whatever you gave up for Lent. Oh, so yes, on, yes. So, like, if yeah. you gave up ice cream like I did on Sunday, you get to have ice cream. Yeah, and the idea behind that is that Sunday is always, Sunday can never be a fasting day because it's always a celebration of the resurrection, even during Lent. So if you count from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, it's more than 40 days because the Sundays don't count. And that's where that notion comes that people can step away from their Lenten discipline on Sunday. I did not realize that. I've never counted that up. So Palm Sunday is the Sunday preceding Easter. Mm -hmm. And it's when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people are fanning him with palms. What does that all mean? Anything in particular? 
Well, there's some interesting things going on with Lent there. One is, of course, people are welcoming Jesus, waving their palms, proclaiming that he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. That same crowd by Good Friday is going to be shouting, crucify him. And it's a reminder of the frailty, I think, of humanity and our how easy it is to just turn with the crowd in one direction or another. And a little Lenten tidbit that folks should know is that on Ash Wednesday, we get those ashes by burning the palms from the previous year's Palm Sunday. A reminder that those green palms that we wave so happily and cheering Jesus on have become dry and brittle, as our faith sometimes does after a long time. And we take those palms and burn them, and they create the ash by which we mark our repentance and our our readiness to turn again and sign up one more time to say we're followers of Jesus. And I mentioned conversion being an important Franciscan word because we talk about, in the Franciscan tradition, we talk about daily conversion, recognizing that, you know, our relationship with God is not a, you know, do it once and you're done forever kind of thing. You know, like you've signed a contract for fire insurance to keep you out of hell. But rather that every day I have to make the decision that I'm going to be in some way a follower of Jesus or not. That is very well said. I never really knew, and my preacher, I hope he's not listening, I never really knew why. I knew those ashes were from the year before, Mm. from burning the palms from the year before, but I never really thought about it in that context to just show how brittle and quickly we can turn and that it's time to be reminded to stay the course. Mm. That was really well said. I've recently watched a documentary about the last days of Christ, Mm. and they've got a theory on there that it was really six months and not six days. Have you seen it? No. It's interesting. interesting. It is. It's interesting. So there's Palm Sunday, and then we skip Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we jump to Monday, Thursday, feet washing. Sure. Can you tell the story of the feet washing? Sure. Yeah, two important things happening there on Thursday. Holy Thursday is the time when we have Jesus giving us what he called the new commandment, to love one another, he said, as I have loved you. And he demonstrated his love and his attitude of servitude uh, by washing his disciples' feet. And in the scriptures we read that they protested that, saying, you know, why are you washing our feet when we should be washing yours? But the kind of leadership and service that that Jesus demonstrates is not one that's hierarchical. But it's an invitation to us to serve one another rather than to be served. That's how he describes himself in, in Mark's gospel. He says the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give himself for many. And so he washes the disciples' feet at supper, which is the, the role of the, the the lowest servant, really, in the household would be to wash the guest's feet. And then the other thing that's happening on Holy Thursday is the institution we believe that the Lord's Supper of the Mass, and when Jesus blesses and breaks bread and gives it to them and says, take, eat, this is my body, blesses the wine, gives it to them and says, drink you all of this, this is my blood of the new covenant. That all is instituted on that Thursday in the last week of his life. It seems like we always talk about feet washing. We really should be talking about the Last Supper on Thursday then. Both of them, I think, because they go hand in hand. Because what does the word Monday mean? Monday comes from the Latin word uh, for commandment, because he said on that night, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And so that's when we refer to it as Monday, Thursday. It's the Thursday in which we got that new commandment from Jesus. You have to be really smart to be a preacher. 
You have to be an academic. That's deep. And then, of course, there's Good Friday, which I don't know why it's called Good Friday. It should be called Black Friday. It's the crucifixion. Right. And I think it's interesting that the word has been chosen Good Friday instead of Black Friday. Only, I suppose, because of the benefits that come from Good Friday, that because of Jesus' willingness to follow in obedience, you know, and demonstrate God's love even to the point of death on the cross, and then God saying yes to that by the resurrection, Friday becomes good not because the event was good, but because the result was good. Wow. So who was there at the crucifixion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you asked that question because you know the answer. Who was there? It was the women who were left, the Marys, yeah. who stayed with him to the end, when all of his other disciples, when the men had fled. Now, that's not why I asked the question. <laughs> Some people say he was alone. Some people say the Marys were there. Of course, I want to believe the Marys were there. I think some people say he was alone, but I can't imagine that. And then we have the Apostle John there, at least for some time, because you know you have the great story when Jesus looks to his mother and says, Woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. He essentially entrusts them to each other to be family together after his death. So then we have the next day, which is Saturday, and that's the Easter Vigil, and it starts at dark. And it's really just waiting for the resurrection. The Easter Vigil is the most dramatic liturgy that we have in the Catholic tradition. It is the Mass from which all other Masses flow. Uh, And really, historically, as the liturgical year developed, Easter was the first and most important. Uh, We didn't get around to establishing Christmas for some time, and even then had a couple of different dates for Christmas before we settled on it in the Western Church. But the Easter Vigil is a dramatic storytelling of the history of God's love for humanity from the beginning. During the vigil portion of the service, we read a series of scriptures from the Hebrew scriptures first, and then eventually move into the regular Mass for the New Testament readings, but tell the story of God sending the prophets, of God telling of his rescue of Noah through the flood, of the that wonderful story from Ezekiel about the Valley of Dry Bones, which is called back to life. And so it's a story of salvation and resurrection in, in so many images. And it's, it is, quite frankly, my favorite liturgy of the year. Does the Protestant church recognize that, too, and make a big deal out of it? Is that one of the things you missed? Probably so. You know, I'm seeing more and more Protestants going back and picking up some of these pieces from the tradition that we used to not see very often. For instance, we talked about Ash Wednesday. I don't remember 30 years ago many Protestants doing anything with Ash Wednesday. All of a sudden, it's become a lot more popular. And I think that's because there's a longing in the human spirit and just our our nature for ritual, for tradition, for the symbolic things which speak to us in ways that we, we can't give words to. And so we have to act them out. Yeah, that's almost an argument sometimes against religion is there's so much ritual... Sometimes people are like, well, there's so much pomp and circumstance that it's silly. And other people are like, there's so much pomp and circumstance that it feels good to my soul. Mm -hmm. It's different ways for different people. And then, of course, Easter. We know what that is. He has risen. And for us, the Easter Vigil is is the first service of Easter. It's sort of that threshold, you know, that, that liminal moment, that hinge that swings between Lent and the darkness and bringing the light in, because part of what we do at the vigil is we light the new fire, and from that light the Easter candle, and 
then in our particular setting, in our, our joint worship that we share with St. Michael's Episcopal Church, the lights come on and the bells ring, and we we even invite people to smuggle in their Easter treats into the service and keep those at their seats. And then at the offertory, which is the right in the middle of the Mass, we bring all those goodies, and people will bring prime rib and Diet Coke and chocolate and scotch and whatever they've given up for Lent and pile it on the table in front of the altar. And then those things are incensed and blessed along with the bread and wine for the Eucharist. And then after the Mass, we have a big, what I call a ring in the resurrection party. I love that. That's a great thing to do. So bring up everything you've given up, cigars. Yeah, it's scotch. Time, it's a time to celebrate. I couldn't bring ice cream and milk, but. Yeah, that, that would be a problem. That's a wonderful thing. I love the ringing of the bells and he has risen. You know, a lot of people wonder how Easter gets calculated every year, so I had to look it up. I look it up every year. I can never remember it. Oh, it's very easy. Okay, tell. It's the first Sunday after the first full moon after the vernal equinox. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's two equinox a year, and it's the sp- I think it's called the spring equinox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every year I have to look that up. I can yeah. never remember it. I think this is a great time to take a break. We've ended on Holy Week. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what it means to be gay and faithful. That's a great subject. Day by day, day by day, oh, dear Lord, three things I pray. I read an article about you in the Arkansas Times magazine, and I'm paraphrasing again. If you're one of those people of faith who believes in reproductive rights, contraception, gay and lesbian rights, and more, it can sometimes be a little hard to square all that with the traditional Roman Catholicism. For those who want the ritual, liturgy, and community of Catholicism without the baggage, there is an alternative, and that is your church, Father, Son, Damiano, Ecumenical Catholic Church, started in 2006 by you and your wife around the idea of offering Catholic communion and mass to all people, regardless of gender, 
sexual orientation, or marital status. I like the way the Arkansas Times called these bedroom issues and that you have offered an alternative place to worship for the more progressive Catholic that doesn't want their church in their bedroom. Tell us how you have aligned all these modern ideas with the Bible. Well, one of the things that I have come to appreciate of it, the old Catholic tradition from which we come is that they steadfastly refuse to take positions simply because they're part of the zeitgeist, part of the spirit of the times. And so the old Catholic position on women in ministry, for example, uh, was not something that they rushed to because the rest of the world is saying that women should be full, equal partners with men in all things. But they said, you know, how do we square this with the Christian tradition, the scripture, the history of the church? And so the Dutch church spent years looking at this to make sure that they did made their choice not because it was popular, but because it was true. And the same thing has been true with their position on human sexuality to say that the, the full inclusion of all people is essential to the nature of what we understand to be God's love and grace. Uh, and so, you know, any of those issues we could look at and, and spend another hour or so with to talk about full inclusion of women, full inclusion of LBGTQ folks. But I guess my short answer is that we have we've looked at this long and carefully to say that all of us reflect the image of God. Created in God's image, we share in God's nature, by God's own grace, we are divine expressions of God's love, and no one should be kept from the table, from the church, from the community of God. Well, that's pretty much Jesus' teachings. Yeah. So I'm having dinner with a friend the other night, and he and I are talking about this, and he's a Baptist, and he said, I don't understand how it can happen, and I said, well, because I'm Episcopalian, and I said, well, this is how I've aligned it, and that my peers and I have aligned it, and I can see if you can agree with me on this. In the Bible, it says intercourse between a man and a woman is fine, but intercourse that is rape is not. So if intercourse is about love, it's fine. So you can think of it as the same way with a different kind of love. Sex between two people that love each other, whether it's a man and a woman, is still love. But rape and sodomy of a young boy, which I believe is what they're talking about in Romans, Mm -hmm. is not the same as a loving relationship between two men or two women. And so if you take just intercourse and say intercourse is bad, well, no, rape is bad. Lovemaking is fine. So sodomy is bad, but lovemaking is fine. And that there are two different ways to think about intercourse and sodomy. What do you think? Yeah, it is unfortunate. You know, I have a book on my shelf at home called The Invention of Sodomy, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. It's, it's unfortunate that we've even come to equate sodomy with a certain type of sexual act. Because if you read the scriptures themselves, when they talk about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not so much about the sex. It's about the sin of inhospitality and the way they treated the strangers who came to them. Um, you go back and read the, Sod- the Sodom story, it's fascinating that... The folks come wanting to, you know, rape the men. And Lot instead offers them women. Well, how's that okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, rape a, is rape. It, yeah, it's, it's still a bizarre story of mistreatment and of a distortion of relationship between people. One of the ways that 
I like to talk about sin, not that I like to talk about sin, but what I do is to define sin not as a particular act, you know, a list of do's and don'ts. And I think that's one of the problems we have in American Christianity is we've got this list of do's and don'ts and think as long as you don't drink, dance, smoke, or chew and don't go out with girls that do, you know, you're okay. Sin I would rather think about as anything which distorts or destroys my relationship with God, myself, another person, or creation. You know, what is this decision, this action, this attitude doing to our relationship? And there's where sin comes in is when relationships are are distorted and, and things get out of whack. Jesus says the only way to the kingdom of heaven is through love. And so who is to define what love is? As long as you're doing everything mm-hmm. from the place of your heart, it should be fine. And I don't understand when I've heard people say there's no better place for a bigot to hide than behind God. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you're using God for your, instead of using him for love, you're using him to support maybe, to me, unholy thoughts. Your congregation is very diverse, and the Bible is hard to understand, much less interpret what you and I have just been trying to do. Have you heard of the term of buffet Christians? Oh, yes. You you pick and choose what you want off the buffet. Yes. So I read a book called The Year of Living Biblically, and I read this years ago. It was one man's humble quest to follow the Bible as literally as possible. Have you heard about that book? No, I haven't. So he tried to do exactly everything that the Bible says to do. Only will wool. Don't sit where a woman has sat who's ministrating. Don't touch the hands of a woman who's... They're just they're just outrageous. Yeah. There's so many outrageous things in the Bible. I don't know how anybody can ever decide what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do other than maybe by what you just said about if it doesn't... Uh, what did you say exactly? Say it one more time. Oh, I was talking about sin is yes. that which destroys or distorts our relationships with God, with God, ourselves, one another, and creation. I think that is a beautiful way to put it because you can't really understand everything in the Bible, or at least I can't. Well, and I think from a Christian perspective too, one of the things that we've said is that you know Jesus simplified all this for us by giving us the two commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think we're loving our neighbors as ourselves these days. Maybe we haven't learned to really love ourselves. Maybe we haven't. What do you think the biggest message you think the Bible is trying to say? I'll have to turn to one of my favorite Franciscan theologians, St. Bonaventure, who talked about the fountain fullness of God's love, which is just overflowing. Love can't help itself. If it's truly love, it overflows and it gives itself away. And that's why we have Jesus that's why we have creation, in fact, Bonaventure says, because he believes that everything that exists is a word of God, an expression of God's love. If someone asked you today, said they wanted to change their life for the good, what would be the one thing you'd tell that person to start doing? Build relationships. With who? Look around you. Who do you see? Build relationships with your neighbor, your family. Build loving and healthy relationships that support one another and are mutually life-giving we just had lunch on the way over here stopped by a food truck and then took our lunch over to bernie's gardens mm-hmm. and there were six or eight folks sitting out there that looked like they're probably homeless 
those would be good folks to begin to build relationships with. And they were welcoming, greeted us as we came in. They had their little dogs with them. They had a little sense of community. There's probably more healthy relationship going on there with homeless folk in Bernice Garden than there are in some of the office buildings downtown right now. Uh, Just being welcoming and recognizing, acknowledging one another as children of God is a place to start. That brings me to my next thing that you say, is that your church has an emphasis on care for creation, care for the poor, and peace and justice issues, that you have an Arkansas homeless coalition, and that your new favorite thing is you started the Franciscan Earth Corps. What is that? Franciscan Earth Corps, which unfortunately is not very active right now, but was a couple of years ago, an emphasis on working with young adults, roughly 18 to 25 was the target group, to gather them around issues of ecological justice issues, community, and spirituality. So Franciscans began with action. And so we invited several college students to join us. And we had, for some strange reason, mostly kids from Conway came down, to get engaged in some hands-on activities. We did some nature walks out at Pinnacle Mountain Park. We helped get a garden started, community garden started, at Jericho Way Day Resource Center out on Springer Street. Gathered them around those actions because, you know, young people are all about green. They're all about helping folks. And then later said, okay, come on over to the house. We'll feed you a meal. They're all about being fed, too. (laughs) And then had conversation about what we're doing and why. What is it that drives us to start a garden at the Homeless Day Resource Center? What is it about nature that engages the human spirit so much? So it's sort of a way to try to attract and have conversation with young adults who might not respond to an invitation to come to Mass on Sunday, but they'd be all about getting involved in a hands-on project to help someone else. That's a great story. This is our last break. So when we come back, we're going to hear how Father Fred Ball's spiritual journey led him in 2006 to open and pastor the ecumenical Catholic Church San Demiano and how it differs from running a regular business such as mine. Father Fred, they quoted you as saying, there have been times when we've had more people on a Saturday morning doing homeless outreach events than we've had at Mass on Saturday night. 
and you said, that's fine with me. That's where the action is. That's making a real connection between spirituality and community engagement. That's really nice. You started your church in your home, but since January of 2007, it has been held mass every Saturday. Was there one thing that became a turning point in your life when you knew I need to take this leap of faith and open a church. Was there one thing that just said, this is it? It was a face-to-face encounter with the Ecumenical Catholic Communion in 2005 that made that happen for me. As I said, I'd been part of the Franciscan Order since 1990, and the Franciscan charism and spirituality had very much shaped me. And that was why I was still a Southern Baptist. And as you mentioned, I spent some time with the Episcopal Church, But in 2005, I was put in contact with the presiding bishop of the Ecumenical Catholic Communion, and he invited me out to Las Cruces, New Mexico, where they were having their, I guess it's biannual synod, which is the gathering for business of the communion. And it was an interesting experience because, first of all, when I was (laughs) still a Southern Baptist, when I would show up somewhere in my Franciscan habit, people looked at me like I was from Mars or something. Is it a big, long, brown? Uh, ours is dark gray, but, yeah, it's the, the Friar Tuck outfit. With, the with, Friar Tuck outfit. With the, with the L.A. May belt. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I was in the Episcopal Church, people would walk up and at least say, oh, I didn't know we had Episcopal Franciscans. I said, well, there is an Episcopal Franciscan order, the third order of the Society of St. Francis. When I showed up at Las Cruces for the Ecumenical Catholic Communion, I had people running up to me saying, we heard a Franciscan was going to be here. And they handed me my uh, folder with all the conference materials in it, and it had the San Damiano cross on the front of it, which they were using because it was a, a symbol that that particular parish used you know, as its logo, if you will. And the whole weekend had a very Franciscan feel to me. It felt as if I were, were home spiritually. I loved the fact that as a relatively new communion, there were some issues that were already settled. The ECC is not having conversations about human sexuality, we're done. You know, we start off with the full inclusion of every person. The richness of the Catholic tradition. I love the Episcopal Church. They're wonderful people. And St. Michael's, in particular, are wonderful partners in ministry with us. In fact, when when they invited us to share their space with them, their pastor said, I don't want for you to be a tenant here. I want to share ministry, and we've done that. But at the same time, the Episcopal Church has a broad spirituality that tries to include both the Catholic tradition and the Protestant tradition, and it's that wonderful Elizabethan settlement that you know Queen Elizabeth worked out. It's a beautiful thing, but our folks are Catholic-leaning people. We regularly have folks who say, why don't you all just become Episcopalians? And our folks would say, well, because we're Catholic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just can't quit. Yeah, right. So we, we have more of an emphasis of course, on the saints and Mary than you would have in the, tip, in the typical Episcopal church, for example. That's right. I don't think the Episcopalians talk much about Mary. But they've let us install our uh, statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the chapel out there. Oh, did you borrow money to start your church? No. So that's different from a regular business. And how did your congregation find out about you? Did you advertise? We've done some advertising. We have run a weekly ad in the Arkansas Times since we started meeting publicly there at St. Michael's in 2007. Still run one every week. And we have lots of folks who have come because of that ad, or we have people who know people who saw that ad. I regularly run into people who say, oh, I'd love to watch for your ad every week and see what it, what the tagline is this week. And because they're aware of us, 
they refer the people to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does God talk to you, and does he do it through dreams? You know, I have some interesting dreams sometimes. I'm not sure that I want to blame them on God. <laughs> do you believe in dreams? Yes. Do you believe that that's sometimes how your soul talks to you? I think so. I think that... Dreams are an early part of Christianity that's kind of been lost. Yeah, there, there are stories throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Scriptures in which people have become aware of something significant through dreams. I mean, think of Jacob, Jacob and his ladder. I think of Joseph hearing about the dream that his wife was going to conceive a child. What is your daily spiritual practice? Daily prayer. First thing in the morning. Using the liturgy of the hours, which is the formal prayer of the church. The church has two forms of public liturgy. One is the liturgy of the hours, um, morning prayer, evening prayer. It is Episcopalian. I'm sure you do the same thing, right? Because that's in your Book of Common Prayer. Oh, yeah, right. That's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And we have wonderful resources for that now. Uh, there's an app for that. There's a lot of apps for that. Yeah. Yeah, There's if you want to get religious, you can get a lot of daily prayers sent to you. Do you have a prayer that you love that's the, your favorite one that's short? Yes, and, you know, since we're on the air, I probably won't remember it, but it's... Uh, oh, yeah, here we're fixing to get a prayer. People, listen up. You're getting your prayer for the day. Lord, give light to the darkness of my heart. Give me right faith, true hope, and perfect charity. Inside and knowledge that I might always do your holy and true will. In Jesus' name. And that's the prayer that St. Francis prayed before the crucifix regularly. I love it. Amen. How many parishioners do you have? You know, <laughs> this is probably a difference between your business and mine, too, is that I'm not much on record keeping. Oh. It's not because I don't think it's important. I just don't do it well by nature. So you don't know? Um. We're a small congregation. If there are 25 or 30 at Mass on Saturday evening, we're having a good night. Uh, as far as total number of parishioners, how many are on the books? Well, you don't it, know. it depends on which books. <laughs> so if someone wants to come to your church Saturday nights, 5 o'clock, St. Michael's on Cantrell Road mm-hmm. in Little Rock, Arkansas, just 5 o'clock straight up. Just show last up. Last one hour. Do you have a website with any other services or opportunities they can go to? Or a Facebook page? Don't uh, you have a Facebook page? We have page? a Facebook page. Our website is lrcatholic.org, but unfortunately it was hacked. And so now it's just a bare, simple page. There's basic information there. I'm hoping to get that rebuilt soon. Uh, but folks are welcome just to show up. Uh, we're very informal. It's, it's definitely come as you are. Father, thank you for that prayer. That was really lovely. I noticed... Uh, when I was helping Carrie research you, we found your Facebook page, and something that I just loved was all of the reviews of your church, the San Damiano, were five stars, except one that you left for four stars. Oh, really? <laughs> I left a review? I didn't even know I reviewed it. Oh, he's so, so, so humble. <laughs> you couldn't even give your own service a five-star rating. <laughs> I thought that was great. That is a good priest, isn't that it? That is funny. Who's my guest next week? Wade Rathke, the founder of this radio station, and Acorn. I don't think people realize that the A in Acorn stands for Arkansas, that Acorn was started. It originally did. Originally started in Arkansas. Originally started in Arkansas. It was the Arkansas 
community organizers for reform now and then it became the american community organizers wow. for reform now and it became a national organization i had no idea people in arkansas do not realize that acorn was started right here by the man that's going to be here next friday he ought to be he started really this station and he started this station in the 1960s it ought to be really good so father you've got to come back and we'll talk about how science and religion can live side by side oh absolutely yeah that'll be a great topic too Father, look, you asked me about this cigar. It's for you for birth in a church. It's your firstborn. <laughs> Father Fred Thank saw you. that cigar. He was eyeing it. He was like, what's that cigar? I was like, oh, I'll tell you about that later. Can't oh, preachers smoke cigars and drink scotch? I think they can. I think Catholic priests can. If you have a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org, and someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also about me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next Friday at 2 p.m. on the radio. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Want to hear today's program again or want someone else to benefit from it? Jot this down. Within 48 hours, the podcast will be available at upyourbusiness.org or at flagandbanner.com. Again, that's upyourbusiness.org. Click the tab labeled podcast. There you will find today's segment with links to resources you heard discussed on this program. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American dream.